2 Kings chapter number 22. We started this evening, uh, this morning with uh, being worthy of Him in our study. And I wanted to preach an encouragement type of message, one that might help you, might be an encouragement to you, and, and really question where we are currently in America and in our church uh, about our passion and the place that the Bible holds in our life. So 2 Kings chapter number 22, verse number 1, I will say before we get into it, there's going to be a lot of reading. And I'm going to ask you to be disciplined enough to hang in there with me. And I will also say there is a little incentive to pay attention because we have to pronounce a bunch of big Bible names that I frankly have no idea how to do it. So it's going to be difficult on me. It's going to be difficult on you. Let's just work together and arrest our attention on God's Word this evening. Verse number 1, 2 Kings chapter 22. The Bible says, Josiah. I got that one down. We're good. 100% right now. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah the daughter of Adiah and of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, when the Bible says that phrase, you would do well to pay attention, specifically in the Old Testament, specifically when it comes to the kings of Israel, because there are not very many that the Bible says that about. And Josiah happened to be one of those men. Verse number 2 goes on to say, And he walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, by my math, if he took over at eight, and he's in the 18th year of his reign, he should be about 26 years old. Josiah, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying... Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to prepare the breach, to repair the breaches of the house under the carpenters and the builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house." Now, this past week, I read a tweet from uh, Pastor Paul Chapel, And that tweet said that Fixer Upper, the show in Waco, is shutting down. No more. It's going to be canceled. So, he said, please pray for my wife in this very difficult time. <laughs> if, if you had a trouble paying attention, so far what's happening is they're doing a Fixer Upper on the house of the Lord. Uh, Josiah looked at it, saw the state in which it was, and he said, we need to repair God's house. And so that's what he does. And he acquires the services of all these builders, these contractors, we could call them. And the Bible says in verse number 7, Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt faithfully. Now, if you ever do business with the church, or really, I think if you ever do business, it behooves the Christian to do business faithfully. Be a man and a woman of integrity in every area of life. I believe God is honored when we are truthful with people in our lines of work. Uh, I don't want to hire a crooked plumber. You don't want a crooked preacher. So let's just agree to both be people of integrity. The Bible says, Thou desirest truth in the uh, inward parts, meaning God wants sincerity from His children. 
Verse number 8 says, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now this ought to really make us question the state in which Jerusalem and this kingdom is at now. If the high priest, only after he is encouraged to renovate what is already in disrepair, he says, you wouldn't believe what I found. What'd you find? Did you, you know, if you walk around the church, you go into some of our uh, storage closets, you'll find stuff from way back when. You'll find the blackie costume that I wore when we, when we did we, we Like Sheep, okay? I'm talking about, we got stuff from years and years gone by. We've got handprint signs. We've got Preacher We Love You signs. We got stuff from years and years and years ago. But they come, uh, the, the high priest comes and he says, you would not believe what I found. Well, what'd you find? The Bible. God's word. The law. Now, I do not know this, and I certainly don't feel as if we have enough Bible to prove this is so, but many people believe this law that he's referring to is the original, or at least one of the original copies of the Pentateuch, the law. This is priceless what they found here. But if they found it, doesn't mean they had to lose it. What a sad day when the church or the house of God loses God's word. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard these words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the scribe and Azahiah a servant of the king's saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us before our, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Achbor and Shaphan and Azahiah went unto Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, Keeper of the wardrobe. Now, we're doing all right so far. We haven't, we haven't done too bad, I don't think. Now, she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read. 
Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands, therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast read, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to, unto, into the, thy grave in peace. And then I shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Gracious Heavenly Father, please be with us in the brief moments that we have. Lord, I pray that you would take this scripture, take this sermon, and, and speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you would remove me from the equation entirely. And only speak through me this evening by your Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' precious name, amen. It was not long ago I found myself, I think at Arlington Baptist College with my dad, I think is where we were, I'm not entirely sure. Wherever we were, though, uh, we saw a picture on the wall. And this picture was uh, a picture of J. Frank Norris's church here in Fort Worth, I believe, and they were having a baptismal service. Now, that's not uncommon. Certainly, we had one this morning. That was good. But this one was unique. You know, the picture's black and white. Everybody's in their Sunday best. And I like it when people go to church in their Sunday best, personally. I don't like it when weddings and funerals call for a greater attire than meeting the King of Kings. But I like Sunday attire, and so I like that part of the picture. And there in this creek, I believe it was a river actually, in the city, concreted on both sides, you, you had several men in the church that were in the water, and there were people that they were baptizing. Along the bank of the river there, you had people waiting to be baptized. Now, this was all good. But what blew me away is there was no distance that you could see that there was not a person standing. There were people as far as the eye could see, stretched wide as the picture would go, long as the picture would go. Man, there were countless people there to watch a few folks get baptized. I remember hearing about a blue law that used to be in fact in America. It was where... Uh, uh, businesses and other organizations shut down on Sunday so that people, employees and other folks would be encouraged to go to church and be a part of a religious service somewhere. Well, I, I tell you what, I think I was born in the wrong generation. You know why? Because I don't even have an Instagram. You know why? Because I hate Facebook. You know why? Because Twitter, I still ain't figured out how you can tag somebody in one of them posts. I don't know. I think I was born in the wrong generation. If I could do it all over again and I got to go up to God's throne, I'd say, God, can you have me born somewhere in the 1940s or so? And, you, and my dad's looking at me like, boy, you don't even know what you're asking. 
your hands aren't fit for the hayfields, boy. <laughs> I, but I'm, I'm serious. I would have loved to have been alive in this day and age where, where people were so passionate about their pursuits to follow God. Amen. I mean, it was not just a, a, a common thing to go to church. It was the accepted practice of the day. By and large, everyone did it. And if you were the only oddball that didn't, it wasn't like you were staying home and watching football. You were just out of luck because you couldn't go to Chick-fil-A. Well, you still can't do that. But you couldn't go to gas stations. You couldn't go to Walmart. Or at that time, Sears and Roebuck. You couldn't do anything, man. Boy, I would have loved to live in that day. And they tell me that America's progressing. Not based upon my estimation. If anything, we're going the wrong way. People are getting further from God than they ever have been. Churches don't even resemble churches anymore. I mean, some coffee shops have higher standards than some churches do. Now it just seems like we are... We are waiting for our Lord to return almost in neutral because it seems like we are so outnumbered. And I tell you, that's just not a biblical picture of the Christian life. We're not marching to Zion. We're, we're in the fetal position in Zion. So what do we do? I tell you, we've lost something that they had. We've lost it. It's not a zeal. It's not a passion because we have that. You know what it is? We've lost a love for God's Word to be implemented and spread. Implemented in our own life and spread to the lives of others. This is actually a pretty accurate picture of what uh, this kingdom would have been dealing with. You see, King Asa, he was a great leader. He was a, a good man, certainly, and even I could say a godly man to some degree, But the rest of the culture and the rest of society, even the religious circles, they had lost something. Now, what happens when they found it? I want to share with you three items this evening. Number one, I want to share with you a forgotten book. Let's take a look at that. Verse number eight, a forgotten book. Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. I want you to notice, number one, the place where it was found. You know where it was found? Probably the same place they left it. You know what the most annoying question you can ever ask your mom and then she give you this question back? Hey mom, have you seen my... Fill in the blank. You know what every mom says? It's like programmed. It's like in the mom manual. I don't understand why it is this way. But every mom had like a meeting. They voted in a majority vote. It passed. Anytime your child sincerely asks for your help to find something, here's their answer. Well, where'd you leave it? You know, mom, I hadn't thought of it that way. But now that you say that. I think I'm going to look at the place that I left it because it's most likely going to be at the place where I last had it. I just don't understand it. But I will say this, moms, it stands to reason. I mean, there's a lot of good logic there. 
And we can, we can give all the examples, all the illustrations in the world, but if I have my phone at, let's say, my office, I leave my office and I go somewhere else, let's say to lunch, and I look at my wife and I say, Honey, have you seen my phone? And she says, You want me to track it? Praise the Lord for finding my iPhone, amen? I think we need to find my wallet app, find my keys after Bailey's gotten through playing with them app. We need all these types of apps. But man, it stands to reason. You know where they found the book of the law? Same place it was. The last place they left it. God's house. I'll tell you what's happening in America. They can take the laws out of our school. They can take God's word off of courthouses as I have here documented cases in 1978, 1980, and 2005 where uh, the Ten Commandments was taken out of schools. Graduation ceremonies weren't even allowed to be held in schools anymore and I, or in churches from schools. And I'll tell you what, they think they did the church a disservice there. No, they did the church a favor. You know what has to happen at church after you get done having a graduation service here? We got to clean up your mess. So they think that was a bad vote. That went in their favor. But look, they have been ripping the Ten Commandments and God's Word out of every public venue that you can take. And I tell you what, the devil's been good at succeeding at most of them. Man, he's gotten them taken out of the schools. He's got them taken off of our courthouse walls. And if the Ten Commandments, the law of God, belongs or deserves to belong anywhere, it's where we legislate our own laws. I don't see what's so offensive about thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. This is not very offensive at all to me. In fact, I appreciate you practicing that one. But why have we... The devil has succeeded at all these things and he's taken them out of all of these places. And Christian, we ought to be worried about it. We ought to be complaining about it. But our complaints ought to lead to actions. We ought to be doing things to put God's word in places. The Bible talks about writing it on the frontlets of thine eye. The, the idea is just, just anytime you get a chance, you write it anywhere you can write it. You just do it. You put the law of God everywhere you can. And here we find they found it in God's house. Oh, the devil's taken it out of our schools. The devil's taken it out of our courthouses. I'll tell you this, though. We ought to be very cautious that he's not taking it out of our churches. Too many churches are majoring on community and minoring on commandments. And I, I love church, man. I love most of you. I love the fact that I get to come to church and see you and shake your hands. I look forward to, to getting to know about the teenagers' weeks and their sporting events. And I come to church and hear you complain about your back and all this stuff. It's great. I love it. That's why I work with the teens. They have less health problems, you know. <laughs> I love the community that church is. But church should not be all about community. It is not a country club. Me and Brother John, we may not have a ton in common. Brother John's a good guy. I like Brother John. He was very kind to me when I was growing up. He spent a lot of time with me. We spent a lot of time together, didn't we, Brother John? Thank you, Brother John. I appreciate those years, buddy. I really do. I like John. We may not have a ton in common. John likes the Aggies. 
I don't even like college football. John is a pretty outspoken guy. I would consider myself much more meek. John, do you put butter on your steak? Yes. You do. You, I think you're the guy that taught me that. That's right. Me and John, we, we have some things in common, but listen, we don't have everything in common. I'll tell you what, we do have one thing in common. Both of our lives are molded by that book. Me and Miss Brown, we may not have a lot in common. You see, Miss Brown's actually talented. She's good at life. Me, not so much. But, but there's one thing that unifies us. And there might be a ton of things that don't. But one thing you and I can both agree on, Miss Brown, that book that is in your lap is one of the most important things that you have in your life. I'm all about community and church. But let's not allow the community of church to become more important than God's word being implemented in the lives of Christians. If we're going to start looking for anywhere or any place that is responsible to hold up the standard of God's word, you know where it ought to be? We ought not expect the schools to do it. It was never their place to begin with. We ought not expect the courthouses to do it because I'm, I, frankly, I'm kind of glad that our, our, our commandments are not hovering above people that are legislating, legislating homosexuality, mar- homosexual marriage. Frankly, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But if any place is responsible to be the standard bearer for God's word, you know where it ought to be? The church. <laughs> as simple as it sounds, the forgotten book was found the same place they left it. I want you to notice, secondly, the person who found it. Verse number 8, the Bible says, And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Hilkiah is the high priest. He's the religious leader of the day. Now, I don't really know if Hilkiah is to blame for losing the law. I wouldn't suspect he is. But he is in a position to lead religious people. He kind of reminds me of the preachers of the day. I understand there's a lot of differences between the role and the office of the high priest of Israel and the role and the office of the New Testament Baptist church's preacher. I get that. You know, we don't have a holy of holies anywhere around here. And I'm not really into blood sacrifice much myself. So I get the distinctions, but, but if you can simplify it, Hilkiah was a religious leader. And it just so happens that he's the one that finds the book. You know who's losing the book here in America? Or who's at least losing, or lost it to some degree? Our religious leaders. We are to blame. We are to be the ones that have a walk with God. We are the ones responsible for knowing God's word before we ever open our mouth. We are the ones that should have a walk with God so intimate that we should be able to know what God wants us to speak to God's people. Too many people are starving for God's word because the preacher is not getting the words from God. Religious leaders of the day are are, are neglecting their responsibilities. 
We've got preachers who are more interested in selling books, preaching at conferences, and gathering large assemblies than they are of just simply knowing God's Word and communicating God's Word. You know what Hilkiah's name means? God is my portion. Now, in most instances, I don't think that would really matter. But it just so happens that Hilkiah seems to be a good high priest. And his name or the stamp of his life is defined by this. God is enough for me. What we need is a bunch of preachers and religious leaders who will just say, if God's all I got, God's all I need. And what we've done as leaders, we have swayed to popular opinion. We have... We have softened our words so as not to offend people. We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to rub the cat the wrong way. So, so we just tried to make our words softer and we don't necessarily speak on the hard truths of the Bible. We may only mention the ones that make us feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. And so we as religious leaders are failing. But if anybody needs to be the standard bearer for ushering God's word and the importance of it back into the church, it is not our Sunday school teachers. It is the men that stand behind these desks and the men that cast the vision for their church. It is the religious leader's job to find God's word and to communicate God's word. Kind of like Paul, he said, and I sought to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Christ is the only thing that mattered to me. I had people complaining. I had people backbiting, but Christ and earning his acceptation was enough for me. That's what we need our religious leaders to say. Just say, we need to find God's Word and communicate God's Word. First of all, a forgotten book. Number two, I want you to notice this with me tonight. An immediate burden that was provoked right after finding this forgotten book. It just began to happen in verse number 11. The book is communicated by Shaphan, the scribe, to King Josiah. And verse number 11, the Bible says, And when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, he rent his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and all these other men, and they were to, in verse number 13, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of the book that is found for great is, is, is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us. He had an immediate burden upon hearing God's word. And what I like about this, I, I see an immediate reaction. You know, one of the, 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 the hardest things for Christians to do is to respond accordingly and immediately when they hear God's word communicated. Why has it become taboo to move when God's speaking to you? It ought not be a bad thing when people see God working in your life. And, and some guy a long time ago said, we need every, bed, every head bowed and every eye closed. So preachers for generations and generations and generations have done it. But the reality is, if, if God is doing something in Brother Jerry Creamer's life... He ought not be ashamed about it, and I ought to be happy about it. But we just bow our heads and close our eyes and shame as if, well, we don't want to see them doing business with God. No, we ought to be proud and glad that God's working in our heart. 
And we need to respond immediately and accordingly. The, the parable of the sower and the seed in Mark chapter 4, there were four types of ground. Stony ground, which was exemplifying a hard heart. And the Bible says of that stony ground, the word of God could not take root. So when the sun came out, when temptations came, it just dried up and withered away because the, the soil was too hard. It, it, it tells us of a hard-hearted Christian. The second type of soil was thorny ground, and the seed was spread in thorny ground, but because of the thorns, and we would know because the thorns choked it out, it could not grow, it could not take root. And we know because Jesus interpreted the parable, he said, well, that's the cares of this world became more important to that person than actually doing what God's word told them to do. I tell you what, we got to be careful. The cares of this world don't become so important in our life. But there's a third type of soil, and it's the wayside. And we would assume, like the other day, me and my dad were out at the ranch plowing, and, and on the road to the way, on the way to the field, some of the seed had fallen out on the ground, just on the road. It was just, that's the wayside seed. It didn't make it to the soil that it needed to make it. And you know what Jesus' interpretation of what happens to that seed is? The devil comes and takes it away. And to take that a step farther, you know what word Jesus uses? Immediately. The devil comes and takes it away immediately. The devil doesn't want God's word to grow and take root in your life. So one of his most effective tools in the Christian life is that as soon as you hear God's word, he would come as quickly as he can and snatch it away. And you know what we do? We stall and give him an opportunity. If idle hands are the devil's handiwork, postponed actions must be part of his master plan. We sit in our pew and and, and, and it's like we're waiting for the preacher to give us permission to come down. It's like we're, we're waiting for some opportunity that's, that fits our criteria for, okay, now, God, I can do business with you. But I tell you, one of the things that hurts most people is that we wait and we don't respond immediately and accordingly to God's word. Josiah, he immediately responded. I mean, he put sackcloth on and he tells him, he says, you go figure out what we got to do to get this right. There's an immediate reaction. Number two, I want you to see this, an appropriate action. Verse number 13. Go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath that is kindled against us where because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book. Notice this. To do according unto all that which is written concerning us. Now, I understand Josiah is speaking about the actions of his father or, or, or their forefathers, but he is in essence saying they failed to do everything, so now this judgment falls upon us. And he's asking how he can right the ship, so to speak, and he says, we got to do all that we can to do all that this book says. What we need to do as Christians is do everything the book says. But we like to pick and choose. 
My daughter, Caitlin, she's getting to the age now where she thinks she has an opinion. I can assure you she doesn't, but she thinks she does. She gets these grand ideas. I remember a while back she would eat anything that was in front of her. Man, she would, people would compliment us on, man, she just eats so good. It's like, well, she takes after her mother. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm just kidding, honey. I'm glad you're back. Um, Man, it was, you could stick anything in front of her. And we actually found she had a pretty wide palate, so to say. I mean, she liked a lot of stuff. And so, it was great. Now, though, she's gotten to this age where she is appalled by the appearance of certain foods. So she won't even give them a try. You'll, you'll bring it over. I was cooking something the other day. And uh, she said, what is that, Dad? And I told her, she goes, ew, that sounds gross. <laughs> she says, when did you start talking like a valley girl? I don't understand. Ed, Dad, that's so disgusting. You know, like, you're four. Turn Dora the Explorer off. I don't know if that's what she's getting it from, but I just, it's like, who made you queen? You don't get a choice. No, we don't have some dinosaur chicken nuggets, which is weird in the first place. We don't have dinosaur chicken nuggets in the, in the freezer. We're not going to cook that for you. If you don't like what we're eating, you don't get to eat. Okay, diet. You know, like, what in the world? She takes after her mother. She's just like her. She has her certain foods she likes to eat, but there's other ones she's appalled by. I won't even give them a try. If the Gospels are the meat and potatoes of the Bible, and God's promises are the desserts, you know, He will never leave me nor nor forsake me. Uh, Those are the desserts. How are you at consuming the vegetables? We're not balanced Christians at all. We're people who like to pick and choose our appetite, but that's not... Josiah says, we've got to do everything it says. We've got to, man, there's going to be some stuff that's going to be hard. You know what's hard? Turning the other cheek. You know what's hard? Doing good when you have opportunity to do good, even if it costs you the coat and your cloak. That's the hard type of stuff in the Bible. But are we willing to go that extra mile? Are we willing to take that extra step of not just picking out the stuff that we love, but saying, God, if your word says it, I'm willing to do it because it's not my life to live. It's yours to live through me. If your word says it, my life will live it. Is that our reaction? Because that is an appropriate reaction to God's word. He had an immediate burden. There was a forgotten book, number three, and we're done. I want to share with you the great blessing of the passage. So what you must realize is there was judgment already upon this kingdom. And and Josiah recognized it. Josiah was certainly worried about it, it coming judgment, but he realized they were already under judgment. And he realized that he needed to do something. And so he sends Hilkiah, he, he sends Shaphan, he sends a whole group of men so that they might figure out the remedy for the problem. And you can see in Josiah's words a broken heart. As God's word 
as he heard it. And he recognized how they weren't even close to keeping it. It broke the king's heart. And so we see several reactions in verse number 19. As God sees Josiah, sees the broken heart that he comes to God with. Verse number 19, the Bible says, Because thine heart was, number one, tender. You know what a broken heart that approaches God's word will find? Sensitivity. Jesus only got angry in scripture one time. This may surprise you, but it was not at the cleansing of the temple. The Bible says in that passage that he was zealous. His zeal, had, he, he was zealous at, the, at what was going on. In other words, he was very passionate about what he was doing. But I don't believe Jesus was angry there at all. When did he get angry? Well, it was at the Pharisees. And you know why he was angry? Because of the hardness of their heart. Jesus had just healed a man and they were so ready to accuse Jesus of healing on the Sabbath. They did not even recognize God's hand on a man's life. They just were so driven to accuse Jesus. And it broke his heart that they couldn't see the miracle for, for their little problems that they couldn't get over. And the Bible says Jesus was angry at their hard hearts. Too many Christians approach God's word with a heart that is totally insensitive to it. We've got to approach God's word and say, if, if I am wrong, I'm willing to change. Pharaoh, several, several, several times, hardened his heart towards God. Why? Well, because when Moses approached him asked him to let his people go, Moses declined, or, or Pharaoh declined the opportunity, what takes place then? His heart is hardened. I believe this. Every single time you miss the opportunity to respond to God's word, you know what happens? Your heart gets a little harder. Jesus said, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You know when that verse is used? That's verse 18. Uh, just earlier than that, uh, that's the uh, parable of the sower. That specifically has to do with our reaction to God's word. And Jesus says there's a group of people whose eyes have been blinded, their ears have been closed, their hearts have been hardened, so that they will not respond to God's word. Does God's word approach a sensitive Christian when it approaches you? Are you ready at a moment's notice to respond this evening? Are you sensitive? Because when you approach God's word with a broken heart, a, a, a willing spirit, you'll find a submissive spirit. Number two, a sorrowful spirit. Verse number 19, the Bible says, thou was, uh, Thine heart was tender because thou hast, what's the next word there? Humbled thyself. Yeah, it's one thing to be told you're wrong. It's another thing to be submissive to recognizing you are wrong. Josiah, upon hearing this, not only did he realize they were wrong, he was willing to do what it took to fix it. 
James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to wrath. And we say, yeah, that's a good verse. You know, moms have put it like this. God gave you two ears to hear, one mouth to speak. So you ought to listen twice as much as you talk, right? That's, and that's, again, good mom knowledge. Well, the Bible says something similar. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all uh, filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You know what that passage is speaking about? It's about hearing from God and reacting appropriately. Not becoming wrathful at God speaking to you and, you te- and telling you that you're wrong. It's that you would receive with some humility the fact that God is your creator. God is your redeemer. And when he tells you to get right, you wouldn't look at him and say, well, I'll tell you where to go, God. No, you would say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. A submissive spirit. So many times we don't come to God that way, though. We come to God as if we know everything. Have you ever seen when construction crews are working on backcountry roads, oftentimes, they did this on 1187 the other day, or 1902, they, they had a construction crew working on one side of the road, so what they did is they shut down one lane of traffic. And you have oncoming traffic, and you have outbound traffic, and they're both trying to get the same place, so what they do is they set up this this uh, stop point on both ends of the construction. They have a guy there with a stop sign. In fact, my grandfather-in-law did this his whole life. He could not read, and yet he operated the stop sign at one of these construction zones. And there's a guy standing there. He has a sign that says, stop. And usually there's a pilot truck that comes and gets you, right? And you, you sit there and you wait until the pilot truck makes the run for the other lane of traffic to pass by. He backs up. He goes forward. You follow him through the zone. The other day, I was just going to the farm for my house. That's about a three-minute drive for me. It took me about 30 minutes to get there because I got stuck in this traffic waiting for the pilot car to get back to me. And I could have done this. No, what you don't understand is I drive these roads all the time. No, what you don't understand is I know how to get where I'm going. Now, you think you know. You're not from around here. You have a stop sign. I don't know who died and made you king, but I know this road, and I know how to get there. I can drive in the left lane, but you know what happens when we take the, 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 the pride route and we do what we want to do? Well, we're hit head on with oncoming traffic. We don't progress, they don't progress. We wreck. What happens is when we get God speaking to our heart and it's telling us that we don't have it all figured out. And by the way, let me just say this real quick. If you haven't been paying attention, I don't blame you, but pay attention for this. You don't have it all figured out. So when God comes to you and says, you know, you need to work on this. It's not just enough to have a sensitive spirit about it, but we ought to have a submissive spirit and we'd say, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. A sensitive spirit, submissive spirit. Number three, a sorrowful spirit. Verse number 19. The Bible says, Thou thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place, against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse and hast rent thy clothes 
and wept before me. Now, I don't believe that every get-right opportunity with God has to be drenched in tears. There are some people that are comfortable crying. There are some people that uh, they've not cried in years. And that's fine. But when God convicts you of something, there ought to be a sorrow there. That speaks to a softness of heart. Where does this sorrow come from? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Word of God is quick and powerful. We know it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, is, it, 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 it pierces even to the dividing asunder and joints and marrow. And the Bible goes on to say this about itself and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, this just is a unique thought, but maybe this will help you. You know what the Bible in Jeremiah calls your heart? Deceitfully and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know what it's saying? That Brother Adam, me and Brother Adam are friends, but Brother Adam's heart, no matter how good he looks tonight in his salmon-colored shirt, it's salmon, right, Brother Adam? Okay. No matter, no matter how good he looks, the reality is Brother Adam's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. No matter all the nice words Brother Sean said about Brother Pickett, Brother Pickett, I love you, I respect you, but your heart's deceitfully and desperately wicked. Amen. And you, you don't even realize how bad. Because the verse goes on to say, who can know it? You may think you've got it figured out. You may think you don't. But I promise you, you're twice as bad as you are in your own estimation. And it just so happens that the object that God has given us to discern our own heart is His Word. Because only His Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you know why many times you are met with a feeling of sorrow when God's word strikes your heart? It's because God's word, like a two-edged sword, pierces your heart and removes the contents of it. And you realize you are far worse than you ever imagined. The other day my wife went out and she got a brand new trash can. It's beautiful. It's got one of them pedals on the bottom, you know. Like, uh, you got to watch it because if something's on top and you hit the pedal too hard, it'll fling it like a catapult, you know. She'd been wanting one for a long time because the lid on her old trash can is, uh, wouldn't clip down anymore and it was always falling off and Bailey was licking it. So, you know, it was just, <laughs> we're having some problems. So my wife, she didn't even ask me, which we have an agreement. We ask about purchases over a certain amount. So I hope this trash can wasn't over that amount. But and I, I've probably never broken that rule ever but uh man she comes home one day and in the back of her minivan she's got a nice trash can i went to take the lid off this trash can i couldn't even figure out how the mechanism worked she's got it so in there that i didn't know how to remove the bag i had to cut the little blue cord on the bag just to remove it because this contraption is so far advanced now man i'll tell you what you walk in our kitchen now before we had this little old plastic piece of junk. Now I got this nice one. You know, but but listen, no matter how nice a trash can is, you know what's on the inside? Trash. Does not matter what you think you look like tonight. Your heart is deceiving you. 
And when God's word is preached, oftentimes what, is, what strikes this moment of sorrow in our heart is it plunges deeper than we've ever gone. And, and, and things that we've been in denial about and things that we would never recognize in our own life, the word of God like pierces further than we could ever go and removes a soil sample of our heart. And we realize at that moment, we are wrong. And there's sorrow. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know what happens to hard ground when something tries to penetrate it? Nothing. You know what happens to soft ground? It gives way. A sorrowful moment ought to be, exist in the, in the broken heart of a Christian upon hearing God's word. We have a sensitive spirit, a submissive spirit, a sorrowful spirit. And notice this, number three, a strengthened spirit. Verse 19 The Bible goes on to say, Josiah wept before me. And it closes this verse out with these words. I also have heard thee. I'm going to say something and I realize that this is not good English. But I I kind of made up a word here. But I'm going to use this word and I hope you'll accept it. The assurance promises of God are only realized through His Word. You see, God's promises are awesome. There's so many good ones in God's Word. One of them is, uh, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be made as wool. That's an assuring promise from God's Word. Another one is uh, Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a good promise in God's word. But a broken heart that through God's holy word is the only person able to, to be assured of these promises. A person that that is always in constant denial that God is trying to do something in their life, they try to live off of these promises, but these promises apply to the child of God who is applying themselves. Uh, You see, both of those promises have both said this. They've both been invitationary promises. Come. Come now, let us reason together. Come, uh, uh, all ye that are weak and heavy laden. There's another one in the book of the Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and sup with him and he with me. You see, these assurance promises, if you will, they're awesome and they're blessings, but they all are invitationary. They all require action on your part. And when God gives these promises... There to a Christian with a broken and contrite spirit, ready and willing to do whatever God asks them to do. Only a a strengthened spirit realizes that God's promises are valid to you. Have you ever lost anything that was of great value to you? I remember when uh, someone broke into our house 
my wife thought she had lost her grandmother's uh, wedding ring in the, uh, with the people that broke in her house. They, she thought they had stole it. I actually think they did steal it. Didn't we recover it, honey? That was unfortunate. She was broken hearted. You know, you can replace a lot of things, but sentimental things like that are much more difficult to replace. I've never really lost anything. I had my golf club stolen one day. I was preaching on a Sunday morning. Here, Sunday morning, I come into church just learning my golf clubs had been stolen out of the back of my truck. That was a blessing to preach that Sunday. Amen. I was in a good spirit and place in my mind to preach God's word that morning. Yeah, I, I, I think I preached on vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Uh, but man, I tell you what, that was frustrating. One time, I was coming back from West Coast, and I was in LAX airport, and I had packed my suitcase to come back. I had a duffel bag, and in that duffel bag, I had a video camera I had just received for Christmas. You know, one of the Sony Handycams, and I was very excited about it. I was going to film my own hunts, you know, I was going to become a professional, and uh, that worked well. But uh, uh, I was very excited about this camera. I had it in there. When I went to college, my dad took me out, and we were getting some suits, and he found, my dad wears really nice footwear. He used to wear just really, really super nice boots, and I'd never really been much of a footwear guy, and he got me at the store. We saw some crocodile skin shoes that were for sale. And he got those for me. And in that bag was my video camera and those crocodile shoes. I had several other items in there, but those were the, the contents of the bag. I think I had, when I had added it all up, I had about $1,200 worth of stuff in that bag. I just left it in LAX airport. We, uh, we were actually, I was waiting on a friend to come pick me up. And so we drove back to school. I did not realize that I had lost the bag until I was, I went to the back seat of my truck to get my bag and it was not there. We'd driven an hour and a half away from LAX airport and I had just left my bag. You know those announcements, if you see any unattended baggage? Like, my bag probably looked like a bomb. It was just stuck there in the airport. I mean, I was so sick. I remember, because I, I, man, I really like those crocodile shoes. They, I don't know if they made me look good. They made me feel good. And probably that's the only reason Amy dated me, you know. I had crocodile shoes. Nobody else had them. I had them. I had just gotten that video camera. I was excited. And I'll never forget, I was like, well, man, it's already after curfew. We can't go back out to, to the airport. So me and my friend, we decided we'd drive back down tomorrow and just on a prayer... I don't know if y'all have ever been to L.A. Mm. Let's just say not everybody there claims to be a Christian like they do here. There they don't even care. It's a pretty rough area. I was just going back on a prayer. I mean, very, very pessimistic. We arrive and I look under the seat where I thought it was. It wasn't there. And I'm, I, I'm walking through the airport, and over to my left, there's a, like a place where they kept lost baggage, I guess, and it's got like a cover over it. Sure enough, there's my bag. And I could not believe in LAX airport overnight, which, you know, bad people that are there during the day, at night, that's like really rough people, and my bag's there. 
Sure enough, I talked to the guy. I'm like, right in there. He's like, can you tell me anything that's in it? <laughs> yeah, I hope there's some gator skin shoes in there. <laughs> I hope there's a camera. Sure enough, every item I left in that bag was in there. I was so excited. Called mom, called dad. <laughs> well, actually, I don't even think I told y'all about that. <laughs> My bad. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was elated that even though the chances that I would lose this and find it in the exact same condition, that I would be able to take it home with me. Look, I don't know where you stand with your relationship with God's Word right now. Hopefully it's a healthy, vibrant relationship where you're learning from it. It's helping you. It's constructing you. It's changing you. That's ideal. That's the picture of the Christian life. And I hope that's the case. But likely there's someone in here that can't say that. But I promise you this, no matter how far the odds seem, God's word is waiting and accessible to you. Just like my bag, all you got to do is go get it. Tonight, God's word wants to be the foundational piece of your life. It wants to change you. I don't know what people would do facing sorrow and facing struggle without the comforting words of that book. Without knowing God is on your side, without knowing that He cares for you and that He loves you no matter what you're going through. Those promises are only in that book. And I don't care what Tony Evans or Tony Robbins or the Potter's House, I don't care what any of them guys got going on. All I need to hear is from that book. Where's your relationship? If you've lost God's Word tonight, I promise you, It's very easily to be found.